All right, well, let us give our attention to God's perfect word. Mark 8, 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man might suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for giving us your word. Lord, I have read your word to your people. I pray that it would have its impact. Even now, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord, I pray that you would now empower me by your Holy Spirit to now rightly divide it, to explain it, to illustrate it and apply it. Uh, Lord, I pray for them, their ears and their hearts. Uh, They would be able to focus. uh, We all have distracted minds, but I pray that this time that you would enable them to engage with your word and ultimately to encounter you as we read this gospel message. Lord, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ for your glory alone, Father. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you're more of a Google Maps kind of person, a Waze person, Apple Maps. I'm Google Maps. Well, I don't know if you ever have this experience. You're driving along and it says that there's um, an accident ahead, right? And it says better route available, right? And so it it diverts you and say, would you like to accept that route, right? Very normal. Why do we take that? Well, because we don't get it stuck in the traffic, right? That would be suffering to just be stuck there and you can't go, right? And so you divert, you get off on the exit, you go around and it's, it's wonderful. Praise God for Google Maps and all the rest, right? I want you to imagine this. Imagine Google Maps actually is reversed. You're driving along the highway just fine. It says, hey, if you get off this exit, you can add 30 minutes to your trip. There's a big, a big accident over on the side road. Just get off here and you can, bizarre, right? Why would anyone in their right mind do that? See, this morning we're looking at suffering, right? And Jesus says, Rather than say, our normal instinct is, hey, if you get off here, you can avoid suffering, right? If you don't bring up this conversation with your neighbors about Jesus, you could avoid suffering. Just take this exit ramp and you can get around it. There are many ways that you can avoid suffering. But Jesus actually says the opposite, doesn't he? Jesus says, no, no, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. So that's where we're going today. Look, there your outline. Uh, You see we're answering three questions. Who is Jesus? What are the implications for Jesus of of who he is, his identity? What are the implications of Jesus' identity for us? So that's where we're going this morning. Let's look at the first one. Who is Jesus? Look at the strange question Jesus asked. So he turns, 
they're going along and he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Right, so they answer and say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, meaning like that they've come back from the dead, and, uh, or you're one of the prophets. So basically, nobody agrees. They really don't know who you are, Jesus. There's lots of theories going around. But then what's the next question he asks? He says, but who do you say that I am? Do you agree with popular opinion? Popular opinion is all over the board, right? And we've seen this before with Herod, and right? That maybe John the Baptist came back from the dead. He's asking them, what, what do you, are you in agreement with the crowds? So Peter, kind of on behalf of all the, of the disciples, says, what does he say? Look there. It says in verse 29. Peter answered, you, four words, you are the Christ. Kids, do you know what that word means, Christ? Anyone know? It means Messiah. And you might not even know what that word means. Okay, let me explain that word. Okay, so in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, actually more than half the Bible, it was prophesying, saying, someone's going to come. Right? Your parents will tell you this, right? When your grandparents are coming, hey, they're coming this weekend. When are they coming this weekend? Who's coming? My grand, right? So over and over, right? It's, it's telling what's coming in the future. Someone's coming. Who's this person going to be? A Messiah. What's a Messiah like? Well, they will save their people from their sins. Right? And so they're waiting, they're waiting. And so Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're the one that people have been waiting for through the whole Old Testament. Okay, so that's what it means when he says the Christ. He's saying Messiah. So Peter, you nailed it. You got the right answer. We know that because of how Jesus responds. Right, because he says, he strictly charged them to tell no one. Well, that's strange. I thought we're supposed to like proclaim the gospel. And Jesus says, don't tell me, it's a secret. I am the Messiah. Why did Jesus do that? Well, the reason is, is he knew the Jewish expectations for what the Messiah would be like. And the more you proclaim that, the quicker he's going to end up on the cross. And so he actually wants to have a three-year ministry. And so we see this a lot in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is kind of sitting on his popularity, right? He, He doesn't want it proclaimed. It will be one day, but not yet. But he's obviously not disagreeing with Peter when he says you're the Christ. Okay, so this is his identity. You see that. But another thing that's important here is that you've, many people, we've talked about this a number of times, it's just worth repeating. Is Jesus a good teacher? Absolutely, right? And many people, non-Christians, when you ask them, what, who's Jesus? They say he's a good teacher, right? But Jesus doesn't li- leave that option because of what he said and what he did. This is one example he clearly is acknowledging that he is the Messiah. Many other places, he says, we even saw this a few weeks ago, that he says, I am the name in the Old Testament of God, right? And so if someone says they're God and does incredible miracles, they can't just be like a good teacher. If they were a good teacher, you just need to listen to them. But if they're the Messiah, you need to obey them. C.S. Lewis said it famously, we've said it before, uh, that you really have three options, liar, lunatic, or Lord. So a liar, Right? If one of your siblings said that they are God, what would you say to them? <laughs> That's right. Maybe the second one. You're a lunatic. Or you say a liar. Nuh-uh. Right? So those are your two options. Either you're, you're crazy, you're actually delusional, and you actually believe you're a God, or you're just a liar, and you're just making it up. Okay? Or the third option is you actually are who you say you are. In Jesus' case, one time, anyone ever called themselves God, he was right, right? So you only have those three options. So this is helpful when, as kids, you grow up, you'll have people that say, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher. 
And you're like, that is the craziest thing anyone has ever said. Because of course he is, but he called himself God. He's not so much of a good teacher if he's calling himself God, if he's not actually God. Does that make sense? Okay, so who is Jesus? Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He's God. This is a really big deal. This is the turning point of the whole book. So kids, when you're watching a movie and there's something really big happening, what's the music sound like? Like it's really epic and you're like, okay, I'm paying attention. Something big is happening. This is that moment in the gospel, right? So this, up until this point, you don't have this clear, and it says he said, he says, blah, blah, blah. He said it plainly that, that he is, um, actually that's coming in a minute. Hold on. He'll say it plainly in a second. Um, but he's clearly saying that he's the Christ. And so from this point forward, you see a shift where Jesus is doing stuff and he turns and he's headed to Jerusalem. Okay? So this kind of begins the journey to the cross, this moment. So this is really significant in the whole book. Okay, so we got, we've established that, who Jesus is. But what difference does it make? That's point two. What are the implications for Jesus? What are the implications for Jesus? He has this unique mission, but what exactly is it? Look at 31 and 32. So right after Peter says, you are the Christ, Jesus begins to teach them and says that, he says four things. Kids, can you find in verse uh, 31? He says four things. You must, that I must suffer many things, Jesus said. Be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Be killed and after three days rise again. Now to you, this isn't surprising. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the Easter story and the Good Fridays. Okay, what if after Todd did announcements today, I came up and I said, hey, I have one more personal announcement. Um, this week I'm gonna be traveling. If you can pray for me, I'm gonna be out of town. And, and while I'm gone, I'm gonna be mugged, beaten, tortured, and executed. But don't worry, I'll rise from the dead. I'll be back next Sunday. And that's all your announcements. How would, would that be like kind of surprising? Yes, that'd be kind of surprising. And I'm just an average guy. Do you see, they just said, you are the Messiah. That to Messiah means like the one who's going to save everybody. And then he says, I'm going to suffer, be rejected, and executed as a criminal. Like they were shocked. Like they're, all their mouths were hanging open. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? You see this by Peter's response. Look at Peter's response. So Peter you see, everyone thinks things. Peter's the one that actually like says them, right? This is who Peter is. So he, and, he, and he's really gutsy too. Look what he does. He says, um, so there's that verse about plainly. I just got ahead of myself. Verse 32, and he said this to them plainly. It's the first time. He'd alluded to it earlier in Mark. He said, um, the bridegroom will be taken away from you, which is alluding to his death, but, but very elusive. Now he's being just straightforward and, and saying it to him. Okay, so there you have um, Peter, he takes them aside and rebukes him. Now just pause there for a moment. He's rebuking the Son of God. It's crazy. The, the one thing you learn about this is Jesus was like a real guy. Like the disciples felt comfortable with him, comfortable enough that they could take him aside and be like, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? Right? We, Matthew actually records Peter's words. What he, he says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Okay, Peter's well-meaning. He's a really nice guy, right? But he's way out to lunch, right? Far be it from you, this shall never happen to you. Remember last week, uh, Brandon talked about that guy healed? Remember first he, he, he uh, heals him, but everyone looks like what? Do you remember what they look like? Trees, right? So but then Jesus heals him again, and he completely sees. The reason that was an illustration for the apostles. Do they get it? Well, kind of. 
Is he the Christ? They know who he is. They know he's not John the Baptist or Elijah, but they don't get his mission. They get his identity, but not his mission. So they're kind of halfway. Get it? That's the, that was the point of that illustration that Jesus did in that healing. Okay, so then what does Jesus do? Peter's rebuked him. Look at verse 33. It's going to get interesting, folks. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. Okay, you do not want Jesus saying to you, get behind me, Satan. Now, we, let's unpack this. Is he saying that Peter's demon-possessed? No, he's not saying he's Peter. He's, he's rebuking Peter, but he's looking behind Peter to Satan. Okay, remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? What was some of the temptations? Do you remember he said, Jesus, this is what Satan said, if you will just bow down to me, I'll, I'll let you be king of the whole world. You can have the whole world right now, no suffering, no cross, forget all of it. I'll give it to you right now. That's what he said, right? And so, um, and so that was his, this same temptation, right? So the temptation was avoid suffering, right? Jesus, Satan had said it then, and now Satan is saying it through Peter. Now, this is a really good lesson on spiritual warfare. Are you familiar with Ephesians 6, the armor of God? In there, it says, put up your shield of faith to extinguish what? Does anyone know? The flaming darts of the evil one. Flame, what would a flaming dart look like from Satan? I'll give you four examples. Here's four types of darts he can send. One is lies. He's the father of lies. Threats. Do you ever struggle with anxiety or fear? He loves to just feed on that, right? Satan loves. So lies, um, threats, accusations, temptations. Lies, threats, accusations, temptations. And so Satan just loves to whisper in believers' ears. That's what he did to Peter. Because Peter, because Jesus acknowledges that the real source of what Peter was saying was not Peter, but Satan. Make sense, right? So I just want you to don't be deceived. Satan can absolutely use you to be his mouthpiece to other believers. And that is not what you want to do. And so we must, with the shield of faith, extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Because he, he wants to do that. And this is what's happening this day. And Jesus is not having it. He immediately identifies what's behind this is Satan. Ephesians 6 also says, Put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. Right? The, the conflict was not between Peter and Jesus, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Peter is deceived by Satan. And see, but it wasn't just Satan, right? Satan always works with our flesh because in Peter's mind, he didn't have a category for that Jesus would suffer. Old Testament did. There, Isaiah speaks of the suffering servant, but the Jews just didn't hold on to that. They were all about the king. He's going to come like David, greater than David, greater than Moses, right? But they're missing. It's true, but that comes in the second coming, not the first coming. Okay, so do you got that? The implications, so we have our first we had, Jesus is the Messiah, right? The implications of that is that he must suffer, be rejected, and die, and will rise again. Okay, so then the third piece, which is our third point, is what implications does all this have for us? Okay, so that's where we're going now. So third, what are the implications of Jesus' identity for us? Jesus isn't done. He has more to say. Look at 34. 
So now he calls the crowd. He brings the crowd into the conversation. Look at 34, what he says. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone, how many people? Anyone, that means everybody. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Okay, are those active or passive verbs? Those are pretty active for all you grammar folks, right? So passive, okay, let me talk about your hurricane strategy. Here's how you do hurricane strategies. You evacuate, right? You avoid. You aren't sticking around for that. Why you take that exit and you get off? I don't need no Florida hurricane winds, right? So we avoid. That's a hurricane strategy. If you can't, you just bunker down. And so in a sense, it's passive. Yes, you strap things down, but you just, you bunker down. The storm comes. You have no choice. If you, if you can't avoid it, you avoid it. But if you can't, you just bunker down. The storm passes over and you survive. Is that what Jesus is saying? A lot of people have the hurricane strategy for their Christian life. No, it is very active. He said, deny. That's an active verb. He said, take. So we're only going to get you these. And he said, follow. Okay, so look at the first one. Deny, deny yourself. So what's the opposite of denying is gratifying, right? There's thousands of ways we can gratify ourselves. Here's a few. People gratify themselves with food and alcohol and sleep and sex and TV and basically anything we enjoy. Are those things bad? Most of them, no. All of them, right? In the right place. But Jesus is saying there's a place to deny yourself of something that otherwise would be fine. Let me give you an example. There's two types of fasting. Did you know that? One type of fasting is um, you had no choice and the other is you did. Our church does this once a year, right? So early in the year, we'll have a day of prayer and fasting and we set food aside. It's not because you don't, can't afford it, but it's because you say, I'm going to not eat today and I'm going to pray. I'm going to devote myself. Our church devotes ourselves to prayer and fasting. Okay. Other people fast because they can't afford to buy food, right? That's reactive, right? And so the same, denying is a choice you make. It wasn't because you had no choice. It's because you, you intentionally are saying, I'm going to go without. Any of you that exercise, any of you that are on a weight loss program, right? You're denying yourself of something because you have some goal you're trying to make. Okay, just making sure you understand that. <clears throat> Think about Jesus. There's many times he'll speak to specific people about this. Remember the rich young ruler? Remember that interaction? So the, the guy's rich. He comes to Jesus. And so skipping some of the beginning parts, some of you read this in your Bible study if you're in a missional community uh, in the past couple weeks. And uh, so Richard and Ruler comes to Jesus and Jesus says, how does it end? He says, go and sell everything you have and then come follow me. Well, of course, the guy leaves sad because he loves his money too much. See, Jesus put his thumb on his very idolatry. Now this is, our passage today is more general, right? It says, deny yourself. It doesn't say the what, for that man, it was his money. And using that, many people love their money more than Christ. And so I, I know to touch on a, a touchy topic, are we willing to support the work of the Lord in missions or in the church? Or will we spend all our money on our own pleasures? That's what Andy was talking about earlier, right? When we did, we collected the offering, right? That, that's a touchy topic, right? That the, and for the rich young ruler, you got his answer. He said, no way. He said, and now granted, you aren't putting your, your entire wallet in that, right? But for him, he, God put his finger because he said, you love this so much. You love it more than me. And so it's one way we give to the Lord's work. What about sleep? How many of you 
are tempted in the morning to skip your quiet time and sleep in. Okay, only one person was brave enough to kind of raise their hand. Well done. But all of us are, right? We just love sleep. And so Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, at some point you're going to have to deny. That's just two examples. There's tons of them, right? There's a tension between serving ourselves and serving God. Right? Does that make sense? And Jesus is putting his thumb on that. Deny yourself. If you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Oh, but it gets worse. You didn't think it could? What does he say next? Take up your cross. Now, this doesn't have the same meaning to you because many of you wear cross jewelry. Nothing against it is completely fine. But I guarantee you in the first century, nobody wore cross jewelry. Nobody did. I mean, the equivalent is like electric chair jewelry. Okay, so what would be the modern equivalent? Jesus said, take up your electric chair. I mean, it is, a, it is, a, it is the most common means of execution, the cross. He said, take up your means. And it's not just like the death, it was the shame. Oftentimes, a criminal would be made to carry the crossbar of their cross from the place of, of judgment to the place of execution. So you're walking down the street and you see some guy walking past you carrying a big old cross beam on his shoulder. Hi, nice to meet you. What are you up to today? No, everybody knows this guy is a convicted criminal and he's about to be executed. He just walks with shame through the streets. You know that of Jesus. Jesus did that. Here's what's cool. Jesus took your shame. The reason Jesus walked through the streets as a convicted criminal, everyone looked at him and said, I don't know what that man did, but he did something terrible. That man's about to be executed. No, it wasn't him that did it. It was you that did it. It was me that did it. It was our sins that he carried. He didn't, you know that he forgave you of your sins. We're doing a Bible study in the missional communities. It's really, really good. I'm enjoying it. It's good for my soul. But it's talking about how the gospel applies to all of our life, not just to get you saved, but also for your Christian life. This is a piece of it, right? That we take up our cross, but we never will carry the shame of our sin. Jesus took all of that. So then what's he talking about? What does he mean when he says, take up your cross? Well, does everyone love the fact that you're a Christian? We live in America, and so it's not nearly as bad. You go to a Muslim country, and you're gonna have a different response. Like you're wearing t-shirts that say like, Jesus loves you, right? If you're, now maybe if you're an American, but if, if you're Islamic born, you are wearing that in your family, right? So become a Christian, like when you consider, hey, well, am I going to become a member of Hope Community Church or any other church? You're just, you're, th- you're factoring in things. Well, you're not factoring in, probably, is my family will reject me and my community will probably try to kill me. That is a consideration for many people in the Middle East and in Muslim mainline countries in Africa and other places. And so to take up your cross is to take up the shame of identifying yourself with Christ. Does that make sense? And so Jesus is saying, not only must you deny yourself, but you also must be willing to be shamed because the gospel is foolishness to the world. Now, you might not get executed, but people will ridicule you if you try to say, well, no, this isn't just good for me, but you know, whatever floats your boat. If you actually apply and say, no, this is actually the gospel for everyone. The Bible actually applies to everyone, that everyone's under sin. Everyone will be judged. That includes you. Now you aren't so popular. Kids, I want you to think about it in school. Like, how much do you not want to be embarrassed in school? Like, a lot, right? And so, there will come a time in your life where you will have the opportunity to identify yourself as a Christian, and you will have the thought process, I do not want to do that because that will not go well. 
And so this passage is for you. It's for that moment. And it says, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself and you need to take up your cross. You need to be willing to be embarrassed by others just as Jesus was embarrassed for you. There's more. So take up your cross and then finally, follow Jesus. You see, he's not asking you to do anything that he didn't also do, right? Jesus took way more shame and he didn't need, he had no reason, but he took it and he went to the cross. Now, if you aren't a Christian this morning, I have an invitation for you. Hey, you can become a Christian and we have an electric chair for you to carry around the rest of your life. Now, I know that's not going to sell well, so don't be overwhelmed that if you, all these things are enabled by the indwelling Holy Spirit. If you choose to be a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit with the deal, and the Holy Spirit will enable you to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow him. And so that, and so as for believers, know that you have the Holy Spirit. If you are born again, if you have put your faith in Christ, you get his Holy Spirit, and he will help you to deny yourself. But here's the thing. It's actually, did you know that people that, um, that don't do this? Actually, it's going to come in the next verse. Let's keep looking. He's going to explain it in four verses. Let me let Jesus speak first. Okay, so how does he explain this? Look at 35. The next four verses all start with what word, kids? 35, 36, 37, and 38. The word is four. Okay, this is a short way of speaking. He's leaving off some words, and he starts each sentence with four. Here's what I mean. So 35. He's saying, let him not refuse to deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. It sounds backwards, right? If you lose your life, you're going to save it. If you save your life, you're going to lose it. Here's what it means. Those who spend their time completely focused on themselves, their own pleasures, I want to be as happy as I can be in life. Do you know those are the most discontent, unhappy people around? Let me say it again. Those who spend their life primarily seeking their own pleasure are those who are most content. Those who actually lay down their lives, who serve Christ, who actually suffer, are some of the most content, happy people around. Wild, huh? And that's just in this life. But then you fast forward to heaven, and then they're really content. Right? And he's going he's to go on to explain that too. Look at the last verse. 38. So four. So again, he's saying, it's as if saying, let him not refuse what, I already, what Jesus said. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And what he's saying is, Jesus is really coming back. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is really coming back? He's going to come back with his holy angels. And so he's saying, hey, when he comes back, he's going to right every wrong. If you're familiar with World War II, some of the French, when they were occupied by the Germans, actually helped the Germans. Okay? So they helped the Germans. Not good. Not a good idea. But hey, they were, they were the force that was there at that time. And um, here's the impact of that, is that as Christians, we can be ashamed of Christ. We can um, basically live to please the world. I mean, if you promote any sexual perversity and gender oddity, you will be praised by the world. Am I right? Yep. And so, but one day Jesus is coming back and he's going to set everything straight. 
You know, the Germans, they didn't stay in France forever. I know it's not a history lesson. You all know that. So finally, the Allies come in. How do you think it went for those, those uh, French who had helped the Germans? Not so well. Jesus really is coming back. and He's coming back with his holy angels. That's the warning of verse 38. Now, of course, this is of the ultimate sense that the ultimate being ashamed is to not become a Christian, to say, I will not identify myself with Christ. That's what in the Muslim country they're really wrestling with. Will I, will I risk my life to become a Christian? This is not saying if you're embarrassed one day. Um, it's talking about the ultimate sense. And so Jesus, Jesus is coming back, and so that reality really makes a difference. Look, there's two more. So Jesus is explaining the logic of this. So he looked at 34, uh, 35, 36. Look at that. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What that's saying is, imagine, 70 to 100 years, uh, like all the pleasure of the world. What if you could have all the pleasure of the world for 70 to 100 years versus like millions of billions of years in hell? The math isn't that hard, is it? That's what this verse is saying. It says, even if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what a terrible deal that is, right? So this Jesus, again, is giving more support. Why should we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him? Because it's, it's really good math. And then 37, for what can a man give in return for his soul? I mean, if you aren't a Christian, there is nothing that you can give in return for your soul. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't balance out your good works with, or your bad works with your good works. There's nothing. It is only Jesus. It is through, through grace by faith, right, that we can be saved. Jesus keeps layering it on, doesn't he? For what can a man gain, give in return for his soul? As we wrap up, I want to remind you of this reality, that I, I don't like suffering, you don't like suffering. But I want to go back. Do you remember that Google Maps illustration? Now, do you feel any different about my, my silly little illustration? If you happen to be a rescue worker in, in Florida, in Fort Myers, and you're on the highway and it says, get off here. There's a huge detour. It's way going to slow you down. Would you feel any different because you know there's people drowning over there? Well, absolutely. I'm here for this purpose. Of course we're getting off here, right? My goal is not to get from point A to point B as quick as I can, I'm here to rescue people's lives. And so my question to you is, are you on your daily commute trying to get from point A to point B as quick as you can with as few detours, or, or are you serving Christ? Do you get that, that point? That it, it, we are not just trying to avoid detours. God has purpose for you. And I guarantee every rescue worker in Florida is not looking for the fastest way to get around. They're looking to save lives. They're looking to save lives. God intends to do that through us. And so he's called us to this high calling. It's absolutely worth it to suffer for Christ. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. God desires this to be an unbreakable chain. So what have we learned this morning? Jesus' identity is he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. There's implications for Christ. He said, I must suffer, be rejected, and die, and I'll rise again. And there's implications for us. God desires that there would be no such thing as a crossless Christian, that these all go together. He is the Christ. He will suffer and we will suffer. So I ask you, 
as we close, who do you say that Jesus is? If you say he is the Christ, it has profound implications for your life. Let's pray.